I say unto you, you are my church. Those of you who have accepted my Son as your Lord and Savior, you are my church. I dwell in you and with you. You are my church. You are my tabernacle. You are my temple. You are my dwelling place. And I fellowship with you in the realm of the Spirit. When you worship me, you are accomplishing far more than you understand. In this particular church, you have heard so much about praise and worship. More than what most churches have heard. And yet, there is still so much more for you to know, to learn, and to understand. For some of you have heard these words, these prophecies, these teachings, and you have accepted them as good teachings, as good exhortations and encouragements. But I want you to know it is critical for you to live what you have heard. To put into practice those things that I have declared. I have ordained praise and worship. I have ordained it. And would you enter into it with all of your heart, with all of your mind, your soul, then you are entering into that which I have anointed and the anointing of praise and worship will be activated in your life. You do not yet fully understand the power that is in praise and worship. But you are learning. And if you will continue to praise me and worship me, and not just hear these words as simple encouragement to sing during a church service, but receive these words as instructions, instructions from me concerning your relationship with me, if you will do this, then you will come to the place of understanding more clearly the power of praise and worship and what it does for you when you are doing it and how it assures victory in your life. So take these words to heart. Do not dismiss them. Receive them. Apply them. And experience the fullness of what praise and worship can do in your life, says the Lord. Would you please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read two verses to kind of introduce this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verses 31 and 32. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. One of the problems that exists in the body of Christ right now is a lack of self-judgment. You know, Kenneth Copeland one time said, we tend to judge people, other people by their actions and ourselves by good intentions. And that's so true. And I'm just going to make a bold statement. Hopefully nobody here gets offended and nobody watching gets offended. 
But there needs to be self-judgment in this place. And in some of you here today, more so than others. This is serious. What we're getting ready to watch is um, a video from a sermon that took place last Sunday at um, Pastor Lauren Sanford's church in Denver, Colorado. Uh, he is a he's known, recognized as a prophetic voice in the body of Christ. I've been receiving his uh, emails for a few years now, and I've watched some of his uh, services. I, I really need you to pay attention to this. Because this was last Sunday morning, right after the election. And what he's going to share, the body of Christ needs to hear. And needs to take it to heart. And so after we've watched this, then I'm going to come back up and I'll be sharing some more things with you uh, relative to all this. But right now, let's go ahead and get started. Things you do make me holy like you, that I may ever feel your fire. Um, <laughs> Lord God, help us here. And Lord, I need your, I really need your anointing today, Lord. I really need you to come and speak to us. Lord, I need you to cut through the fog and, and just cut through. Jesus. Come, Lord. Last week, been a really difficult week for a lot of us. A lot of Christians. All across the country and even in other countries, they, they, I've been deluged this week. I, you wouldn't believe what has come into my various message portals this week. A lot of Christians are struggling to understand what in heaven's name is happening. One of the things that's gone on this last week is every recognized, reliable prophet I know, including me, is conflicted right now, no matter... No matter what face they present to the public, they're asking questions. And they're seeking the Lord. Because, although the final outcome of the election is not yet determined, until the court cases and the recounts are complete, it's possible that we all missed it. 100% of all of the reliable prophets that I know prophesied that Trump would be reelected. I'm not going to say, this isn't political that I'm talking about today, so just you know, lay that to rest. I can't remember the last time that I was wrong. But if it turns out that we ultimately did miss it, I've publicly stated multiple times that I'll issue an apology to the body of Christ. And I'll also give my understanding of how and why we all missed it. But until the court cases are settled, I'm holding back. So I want to sort some things out this morning. And it doesn't make any difference this morning. I want you to hear me. It doesn't make any difference which way you voted. Because this really isn't about politics. This is about all of us. And it's a really heavy message and I've been really nervous about it. 
because there's every possibility that a lot of people could hate me after this morning. I want you to remember we're all family. Be nice. This is about purity of devotion to the Lord. And it's about what happens when that is compromised, when that's polluted, or when that is diluted in some way. So let me start with the primary calling of any prophetic voice. And I'll say this, it's, again, it's entirely possible that God's best prophetic voices, it's, listen, it's entirely possible that God's best prophetic voices have departed from that primary calling, and that's part of why we're in this mess. I can see on your faces you're thinking, what's he going to say? The primary calling of any prophet is not to make predictions of coming events. I've said that for a long time. That can be part of it. But that's not the focus of truly biblical prophecy. The core of the task of somebody that holds prophetic office is to sort the precious from the vile. It's to sort the holy from the unholy. It's to identify idolatry, even when, it, when idolatry is there in the most subtle shades, and then to call it out. It's to discern all of that, and then to call God's people to a full and uncompromised devotion to the Lord. That is the core of prophetic ministry. We need to get off of this prediction focus, because that's not what it is. Funny thing about idolatry. See, I'm trying to preach in a classic prophetic vein today. Funny thing about idolatry. Idolatry doesn't enter with a trumpet blast. You know, I mean, it doesn't happen when somebody walks in the back door with an image of Baal and says, here, bow down. That's not how idolatry comes in. It gets in by subtle increments over time. So you don't even really notice. Israel was seduced into a compromised devotion to God so gradually that even as they began to sacrifice to Baal, they thought they still worshipped God. Here's an interesting verse that kind of points to that. This is Jeremiah 32, 33. And it reads like this. They have turned their back to me and not their face. And that really struck me. Because you could read it two ways. You could read it that they had turned their back away and did, and did not turn their face toward the Lord so that their whole self is turned away. You could read it that way. But the way I'm reading those words, you could read it as though they turned their backs to the Lord and shut Him out to move away from Him but did not turn their face away. So they say, I'm still looking at God, but I'm headed this direction. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, they thought they were, they were still the Lord's. But in reality, they were walking away into idolatry. Kind of like a lot of churches today that are rejecting core doctrines and principles of morality, putting on a good worship show and an entertainment model. Face to the Lord, but headed in another direction. Or it's a lot of, a lot of believers who want to pick and choose which moral laws of God they'll obey and live by while their back is turned. Their face looks toward the Lord, but their back is turned. So the first and primary calling of the prophets is always to confront God's people with what is impure 
and with what is idolatrous and, and to call them back to a singular devotion to God. It's to sort out where they've allowed influences of idolatry to come in and turn, and it's to turn the people toward God in wholeness. That was the calling in the Old Testament. It remains the calling in the New Testament. That kind of ministry was never a popular place to be for any prophet. Biblical prophets didn't get to have big conferences and and draw large crowds and rake in the bucks. didn't work like that. Instead, people hated them for it. People attacked them for it. Jezebel threatened Elijah's life for that in the Old Testament. Herod in the New Testament had John the Baptist beheaded over it. It's not popular. Personally, I've taken a lot of shots online from Christians. Some of them have been pretty vicious. And I've taken them for confronting what I, what I, what I see in the Lord to be impure. I've taken those shots for confronting what I'm about to confront. It's been a tough week. I don't really like predicting things. I'll do it when the Lord says to do it. And I did predict an electoral victory for Donald Trump. I did that. And as I said, I promised an open apology if all of us prophetic voices have been wrong. And I'll follow through if the court cases and the recounts don't vindicate what all of us prophetic voices have said. I can't remember the last time I was wrong. If I'm wrong this time, I will openly ask forgiveness. I am not infallible. And neither is any other prophetic person I know of. And so I'm ready to say, Lord, humble me. That's been my week. Whether or not the election turns and the results flip, listen, this whole situation will have served as a corrective move by the hand of a loving and gracious God to reveal some things that needed revealing in his people. Yeah. Serious soul-searching is in order right now for every Christian on any side of the political divide and on the part of every prophetic voice I know. So I'm talking about idolatry today. Some people around the nation have already taken offense at me for suggesting that they might be engaged in some kind of idolatry in this, and they've struck out at me for it, but I'm not going to take back what I've said and what I'm about to say. Thank God I got some good counseling last week, and I don't give a rip whether you come back at me. (laughs) One of the idolatries that's rampant in the body of Christ right now is that too many people seem to put more faith in prophets than in the Lord himself. John Wimber, back in the 1980s, in the midst of the prophetic movement that was going on at that time, had this to say. He said, the only word God is obligated to fulfill is this book. And he was holding up a Bible. Amen. When people put inappropriate levels of trust in men like me, whom you see as prophetic, you set, listen, you set us up to fail. Hello? There's a subtle seduction in that kind of adulation that gets into our flesh and it colors our vision and it has the potential to distort the picture. Vast numbers of evangelical Christians strongly longed for us to prophesy a Trump win and we prophetic people felt it in the spirit realm. 
That kind of thing is really difficult to sort out from the Lord's true word. Because we're burden bearers. You know what a burden bearer is? A burden bearer is somebody that feels what's going on in the people around them. We feel what's in the hearts of people around us. And so we felt that. And then when people are cheering and they're shouting, there's an energy to it. There's an energy to it that's often not the Lord, and it flows through us like electricity. So we need to get our heads and our hearts right before the throne, because that kind of thing, it can carry us away, and it can be mistaken for the word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. But there's another important element to consider, and I want you to bear with me, because I'm not making political statements today, although what I'm saying derives from the situation our nation faces now in the aftermath of November 3rd. Again, I'm talking about idolatry. I'm talking about purity of devotion to our Lord and Savior. You, this congregation, you know that I've supported the president, and you know why. But there are things that have deeply troubled me right from the start. Since November 3rd, I've spoken with prophets who, like me, prophesied the president's victory, who are struggling right now with questions about the way things have played out. If we were wrong, were we wrong? You know, if we missed it, what went wrong? After a conversation on the phone with one very prominent prophetic person on Thursday, I spent the better part of the afternoon closeted in prayer. I was just in travail of soul. I was seeking God for some answers. I've been sick with travail in my spirit ever since. But in prayer Thursday, I got some answers. What I'm about to say came to me with a really deep conviction. The root issue God showed me has nothing to do with who you voted for. has nothing to do with what party you lean toward. It applies to all of us. For the last four years, I've been troubled at the hatred that's been stirred up by the president's tone of his rhetoric, and I've repeatedly said so. The hatred that a lot of people held for him was already there, but his rhetoric fanned the flames. And it caused a lot of people to hate him who would not otherwise have hated him. One prophetic word that I should have stood on and I should have been louder about was what I said. I didn't, I was, you know that in 2018, I, I was interviewed on Sid Roth's It's Supernatural. And what I said then, 2018, was that unless the president changed the tone of his rhetoric and unless he stopped insulting enemies and calling them names, his reelection was not at all certain. And I've openly called for prayer concerning that element of his character and his presentation because I knew that it would turn off masses of voters who would otherwise support him. It fed division. And yet when I would cite certain scriptures, as I was calling for prayer for the president, I would cite certain scriptures. I would say that the righteous man causes even his enemies to be at peace with him. The tongue of the wise brings knowledge. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the, but, but the, right, but the, but the, the, the tongue of the wise brings healing, right? You, you understand? I would quote those, and what I would get back was, oh no, that doesn't apply here. He has to be like that. How dare you criticize him? I want to say, since when do real Christians negate the Word of God? Amen. 
The reaction of a lot of Christians to my calls for prayer for a change in the president's character that would lead to a change in his rhetoric was to attack me as if I were challenging the sinlessness of Jesus himself. And I thought, what's the matter with us? I'm still today attacked for that. And then during the election campaign, I began to notice what appeared to me to be almost a cultish nature of dedication to the president and passion for him. What I saw in the rallies exceeded the chants and the shouts of Jesus, Jesus, that I heard at the height of the Toronto blessing in Toronto. It looked like a religious event. Now, I believe the president was and perhaps still is God's man to set a lot of things right that have been wrong in this nation. But the language I've heard about him, even from some solid prophetic voices, has bordered on idolatry. There's a blindness. What it's been is... See, you're getting real quiet now. What it's been is people placing their hope in a man often subtly at the expense of Jesus and in some very unhealthy ways. I promise you, Donald Trump's poop stinks too. (laughs) The adulation of the crowds at the president's rallies played directly into what energizes the president the most. Crowd response, chanting his name and more. Almost no... Listen... Almost no living man can remain immune to the the seductive influence of that kind of thing and not be affected by it. It would affect any of us in a not-so-good way. And I know because I've experienced it. When I travel, and I've spoken all over the, practically all over the world almost, When I stand before a crowd of hundreds of people who've come for a conference and they clap and they shout amen and then they crowd around me into ministry times and they tell me how wonderful they think I am, there's an energy to it that often is not the Lord. But it's hard to sort it out. It's hard to stay in the place of purity. Sometimes I'm thankful to have a congregation to tell me I'm not so hot sometimes. Thank you. (laughs) now on top of that by all reports this president is a new Christian imagine how this dynamic can affect him now here's the disastrous fruit of making an idol out of a political platform party or man hear me please the problem is in this subtle idolatry that masquerades as righteousness, we as evangelical Christians have allowed ourselves to become seen as just an arm of the Republican Party. The way we've presented ourselves has obscured the revelation of Jesus that people need to be able to see shining through us. And i got to tell you straight up, the world doesn't see Jesus when they look at us. They see us as right wing instead of seeing through to Jesus. They see us as Republican instead of windows of revelation to the Son of God. They see us as conservatives instead of ministers of the abundant life of the Redeemer, the Healer, and the Savior. 
The world we're supposed to win doesn't see through us to the Lord. They come, they've come to see us as a special interest arm of a political party. And if you're listening online or you're in this sanctuary, take offense if you like. But that's a reality. It's fact. And we need to own it. God will not share His glory with another. He will not tolerate this kind of idolization of a man, and He cannot allow it to continue, even if it means that prophecies don't come to pass. Uh Uh-oh. Be aware. God intended King Saul... He intended King Saul to father the dynasty that would have produced Jesus. But Saul's compromises of obedience to God led God to withdraw the anointing and give it to David. And David became the father of the dynasty that produced Jesus. What was intended for Saul, God lifted and gave it to another man. Because Saul got off track. I've seen too many Christians, not all, I posted something like this online, and instantly a whole line of people took offense. Well, I'm not worshiping idolatry. I'm standing for righteousness. Well, fine. Open your eyes. Too many gave blind devotion to a man. It's not only wrong for that man. Listen. It's not only wrong for that man as a man doing harm to him as a man. But it pollutes and dilutes our witness to the glory of our Lord. Most, not all of us here, are conservatives in our political orientation. Don't want to know who you voted for. But we're all family who love each other with different opinions, right? We have different opinions, but we're all family. All the same blood. And I've reminded us from this platform repeatedly that Donald Trump is not our Savior. Jesus is. Donald Trump and the Republican Party are not our hope. Jesus is. You would think, listening to some people, that the revival the Lord wants to send depends on who's in the White House. That's idolatry, that's a lie. Revival doesn't depend on who occupies the Oval Office or what party's in power or even what governmental system we live under. Revival will come as God sends it in response to the cries and the repentance of His people no matter what governmental system is thrust on us. It's been true throughout history and it's true now. So I come to this. I'm more and more convinced that all this turmoil over the election results and the fear and the doubt that it's breeding in people is part of a needed rebuke. And my heart receives it as such. And I receive it deeply. Holiness matters. And this is a neglected holiness issue. If Trump loses and the recounts you know, don't come out, (laughs) and the court cases are lost, and the prophecies of his victory don't come to pass, 
I'm just about convinced it was this taint of idolatry that brought it about. The Lord disciplines those that he calls as sons and daughters. Whether or not the courts rule in favor of the Trump campaign, whether or not Trump gets a second term, will we get the message that some serious repentance is in order? Some purifying of our devotion to Jesus alone. We don't need righteous rulers for us to walk in righteousness. While, while a lot of people around the nation have resonated with this that I'm saying, others have already lined up to tear me apart, but I don't really care. Because I have to be faithful to the core calling of a prophetic voice to sort the holy from the unholy and call out what I see. Micaiah in 1 Kings 22, <laughs> he started out by prophesying along with 400 other prophets that the kings Ahab and Jehoshaphat well, Ahab and Jehoshaphat called a prophetic convention. That's what happened. They were trying to figure out whether to go up to war against Aram. And so they called a prophetic convention. 400 prophets show up. And they all prophesy, you're going to get a great victory, guys. And then Micaiah comes. Micaiah allowed himself to be swept up in the prevailing stream of what all those recognized prophets were saying. And he prophesied, oh yeah, it's going to be great, go up to war. And then Jehoshaphat said, well, no, tell us what you really think. <laughs> and so Micaiah repented, he changed his mind, he stood against the stream and he told the kings the truth. And they threw him in jail for it and fed him on bread and water until the battle would be over. That's how people respond to real prophets. Well, they lost the battle. And Ahab was killed. So I'm just saying it's possible for genuine prophets to be swept up in the current like Micaiah initially was and prophesy wrongly, 400 to 1. And there's been a strong current, not just among prophetic people, but among a majority of evangelical charismatic Christians like us that might be a little hard to stand up to. Now I'm not saying yet that I'm wrong because it isn't over. I brought this issue of idolatry and repentance to our Thursday afternoon prayer group of 15 or so of us this last week, called us to repentance for entering into shades of idolatry on this issue, for compromising our witness in the process. And I want to tell you, that meeting exploded into the most powerful time of prayer and crying out to God that I can remember in a very long time. Holy Spirit felt God met us with his presence, his power, and his pleasure because we were tracking with him. So I want you who were not there, I want you to know that there's something profoundly real and true in this that I'm saying, and we need to wake up to it. God never intended this church to have an impact as a church, to have an impact limited to North Denver. If we're going to have the wider impact God has called us to have, it's going to have to be pure. And it's going to have to be untainted. I found myself thinking about Nebuchadnezzar in the time of Daniel. It was an example of what happens when men who should know better get carried away with the success or the praises of people. And in that sense, they enter into idolatry at the Lord's expense. Listen to this. Daniel chapter 4, start at verse 30. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great? I, I, I want to remind you, this sounds... 
like some recent rally speeches we've heard. Okay? Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? And while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. And you'll be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. In the New Testament, Acts 12, verse 21, in the verses after, On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, The voice of a God and not of a man, chanting, Herod, Herod, Herod. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. I share that by way of saying for his own sake as a man. People need to release Donald Trump from any and all shades or taints of idolatry. We need to release him from being put in a place no man should ever be placed in so that he can encounter the Lord, so that he can encounter the Lord without the kind of interference that comes when he's exalted to a place that's neither right for him nor honoring to God. That should have, this should have happened long ago. Now, to be fair, the philosophy of the left has become a religion as well putting faith and hope in a political, governmental philosophy at the expense of Jesus. And it's just as odious, and it's just as offensive, and it's just as idolatrous. And i got to tell you that the things the Democratic Party stands for are mirror images of what God destroyed Israel for. They're direct results of the worship of Baal. Hear me in this. It's enormously more destructive because it advocates moral violations that are abominations to God. I'm being even-handed here. Platform of the left denies the laws of God regarding human life. Infanticide in its support of abortion on demand is the direct result of the influence of the demon Baal Molech. It's what God destroyed Israel for. I've said we've made abortion into a political issue. It's not. That's why pastors have kept silent. It's not a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's a religious issue. 60 million human beings. Ten times the Holocaust of World War II. And there will be a reckoning. There will. The Democratic Party platform 
destroys the definition of family. God's moral laws, God's definition of man and woman. So we have two idolatries running side by side. And they're equally odious to the Lord. When we reject when we reject the laws and the principles of God in favor of the precepts of men, that's idolatry. You don't have to have a graven image. And again, all those were sins of ancient Israel when they entered into the idolatry that opened the door to demonic destruction and the end of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. That's biblical fact. That's not politics. That's biblical fact. And it's what we in America will ultimately face as a nation without a movement of repentance across this nation. There's idolatry on all sides. We're drowning in it. And there are no innocents. Right or left. Makes no difference. We've cast God out of public life. We've exalted political philosophies and the precepts of men to the status of religion as we give religious devotion to them. Now here's the principle. God created us to worship. And if it's not God we truly worship, we'll worship something else. Because it's in us to do it. And so too many have fallen into forms of what I call compromised religious devotion to whatever political philosophy they hold, and we've invoked the name of God to do it. Where idolatry goes, listen to this. Where idolatry goes, hatred and death follow inevitably. And this is what we see engulfing the nation right now. This is what we reap. And so our cities burn, racism resurges, families and friends break up over the hatred that flows from idolatrous loyalties to to political candidates. I've seen families break up. People unfriend each other. Over what? And we find ourselves now engulfed in a pandemic with no real end in sight. Set aside the arguments over whether it's really real or not. You know how I feel. It may have come from China, but I have to account for it. I have to account for Second Chronicles 7, 13, and 14. Listen. If I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain. This is God talking. This is what God will do. If I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence, if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Did you catch that? God does send pestilence when there's no other way to get the attention of his people to turn them from idolatry and evil. It's an act of love. And the remedy for it begins with repentance. Track the plagues through Scripture. How did David end a plague? Fell on his face before God, repented, and offered a sacrifice. More important than any of that is this. As the church, the bride of Christ, we're called to be the kind of light in the Lord that attracts the lost. Crowds were drawn to Jesus, drawn to Him because of the mercy and the healing they felt from Him and that they received from Him. He told us that if He is lifted up, He'll draw all men to Himself. In 1 Peter, we're called to proclaim the excellencies of our Lord and King. We're a royal priesthood with a task and a calling. 
But that's not happening much today. We haven't been effective in it. Because it seems we've been lifting up a man, or lifting up a political party, or lifting up a political system as our hope, and the world just can't see through the veil of that uncleanness. They don't see through it. I'm calling for a serious heart examination from my brothers and sisters in the Lord to be followed by a depth of repentance we've not seen at any time in my lifetime, and we need to do it before it's too late. If you've ever regarded me as a prophet of the Lord, that's what I'm doing right now. If the current state of affairs and what's happening in the prophetic world as prophecies have seemed to come into into question, if that's shaken your faith, I'm talking to all kinds of people, their faith has been shaken since Tuesday night. If your faith has been shaken by where things stand right now, You want to take that as certain evidence that idolatry has been in play. That your hope was somewhere else. And that the kind of repentance for idolatry I'm calling for is in order. Because it's time for faith in Jesus alone. We need to set things right in the Spirit. We need to listen, we need to set things right in the Spirit so that God can set things right in the nation and the world. And we're running out of time. Seriously. I'm not 100% sure how to finish this today. I think what I want to do is just open this altar up. It's not like a ministry time. I don't need ministry team to line up. I'm going to do one song I wrote years ago. It's a repentance song. And as we sing it together, feel free. You know, like I said, all week long, I'd rather, matter of fact, we need the song. I'm going to pick up my guitar, but I'd rather be on my knees in humility before the Lord today. Scripture has a lot to say about humble yourself before the throne of the Lord. Has a lot to say about sackcloth and ashes. Well, we don't have, we don't have gunny sacks and we don't have ashes today, but, but we can humble ourselves before God. So I'm just inviting you to come to the altar and do whatever business with God you need to do. And I hope that there's nobody here in this room pleading innocent today. Really. I hope. Okay? Oh my Lord, breathe on me. Touch my eyes and me. You know, this is, uh, I don't know the... Well, this isn't the first time that I've watched this and heard it. And I hope that you took it to heart. I hope it had an impact on you. Because quite frankly, you know, what he was saying, as far as the aspect of the repentance and so forth, that goes right along with what we've been hearing for quite some time. Uh, What he said there at the end about the need for heartfelt repentance in the body of Christ, he he made reference to Second Chronicles chapter seven verses thirteen and fourteen, and how that God said 
if you, and I'm paraphrasing, if you have rebelled so much that these things begin to happen, then you need to know, if you will repent, it will turn. When he said, turn from your wicked ways, that's repentance. The problem is, in the body of Christ, there are too many Christians who look at their own lives and they judge themselves according to what they enjoy in the flesh to determine what is and is not wicked. Look in Acts chapter 5. You know, one of the many things that Pastor Sanford said in that message that really made an impact on me that I really appreciated was we don't need righteous rulers to walk in righteousness. And there are too many Christians that seem to think that whoever's in charge determines the level of their holiness before God. Well, as he was sharing, that's idolatry. And in Acts chapter 5, in verse 1 it says, But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours later, when his wife, not knowing what it was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her, by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Do you understand that when Ananias and Sapphira sold that land and brought the money in and laid it down, nobody, I mean nobody, in that church knew that they had kept some of the money back. Nobody. Until the Holy Spirit revealed it to Peter. And then when Peter asked that question, we don't see dollar amounts mentioned here in this passage. But when Peter asked that question and Ananias said, yes, that's the correct amount, that's when he was confronted. And even then, some of the people... All of the people wouldn't have fully understood everything that was happening as this began to transpire. But they caught on. And it ended up with Ananias and Sapphira both dropping dead in the church. 
Now, if that kind of judgment was released due to covetousness and a lie over money that no one else in the church knew about, what might be headed in your direction? If you are involved with any kind of premarital or postmarital intimacy that is not ordained of God. And if it's premarital, none of it is ordained of God. None of it. What if you're involved in pornography, drugs? What if what if you ingest alcohol? in a way that you should not. And what about if you are in alignment with those who support the murder of unborn babies and who support the perversions that God calls an abomination? Do you honestly believe there is no judgment hanging over your head? Are you that foolish? At the end of this, in verse 11, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. The problem is there's no fear in the church today. And every single one of you have just heard these things. Therefore, there should be a godly fear in every one of us playing games with the holiness of God. And if that fear's not there, you need to understand you're searing your conscience. And I stand guilty as well. Because as I examine my own life, I realize I've seared my conscience too much over the years toward the holiness of God. You know, when you vote for those who support the murder of unborn babies, unborn people, and you vote for those who are in favor of perversions, you are voting to raise the demons of Molech and Baal in this nation. You are voting in favor of Satan. Do you not understand that? I don't know who you voted for, but if you voted for candidates who stand in, a, in, in opposition to the things of God, you stand guilty of every abortion that is performed. Because you gave your stamp of approval of it. This is serious. It's very serious. If we're going to see revival, this revival has to incorporate holiness. And the holiness is on the part of the believer, not on the part of the lost, because the lost don't have any holiness to which they can appeal. It's all the body of Christ. You know, where, where is your, your heart? Where is your head? Isaiah, listen to this, Isaiah 29, 13. God said, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of man. So when men stand up and they tell you, it's okay for this and it's okay for that. They stand behind the pulpits and they tell you that the very things God has said don't do or there's judgment and they tell you that it's okay. 
Do you understand people are now creating their own standard of holiness based upon the precepts of man and not the Word of God? Yeah, this is heavy. But the problem is we've got people sitting in this room right now. You've got issues in your life and it needs to be dealt with. There is sin in your life. Repentance and holiness are the clarion call to the church at this time. Always has been. But those voices are rising up more and more. And there's some of you in here, you're playing games. You say, well, how do you know that? How did Peter know that Ananias and Sapphira had lied to the Holy Ghost? This is serious. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Listen, guys, I stand as accountable as anybody in this room and anybody listening. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, look at this. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Do you realize this was written to believers, to Christians? And he's saying without holiness, guess what? You're not going to see God. And what's really sad is when Christians begin to ask the question, Well, what is holiness? If you need a preacher to stand up and tell you what holiness is, are you even saved? If you need a preacher to stand up and tell you what holiness is, have you seared your conscience? Look over in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You see, holiness... If you want a definition of holiness, I can give it to you. And it's very simple. It's extremely simple. The definition of holiness is found in many verses, but in the two that I'm going to give you here. The first one is Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, where Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So if you are living according to every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God, then guess what? Holiness is a, non, is a non-issue relative to am I doing it or not? Man shall not live by bread alone. What is bread? Listen, God does not make bread. Man makes bread. Do you understand that? I mean, you, you don't see bread growing on trees. You have to take the, the wheat and the barley and the whatever it is, you have to take the ingredients and you make it. Bread is that which comes from man. And Jesus says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What's the other verse? It's right here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. And that you put on or live according to the new man, your born again spirit, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The moment you get born again, righteousness and 100% holiness now dwells in you. You don't have to search for it. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to pray for it. It's in you. And the decision to live by it is totally up to you. Guess the devil doesn't like this message, huh? Because you see, if the devil can keep Christians confused about holiness, then he can get them living 
in a way that is unholy. Turn, you're here in Ephesians. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Does God abort babies? No. Is God involved in any form of intimacy outside of His relationship with the believer? No. I mean, we could go on with this. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness, that phrase uncleanness, it's talking about intimate physical behavior outside the boundaries of marriage or prior to marriage. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. That's talking about foul language, filthy jokes, and so forth. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater... What have we just heard? No covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience... Be ye not therefore partakers with them. What is, verse 6, the wrath of God? What is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is eternity in a lake of fire. That is the ultimate wrath of God. And he says the wrath of God, this kind of wrath of God, comes upon the children of disobedience. And in verse 11 he says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Have no fellowship. No fellowship. How many of you in here are having fellowship, regular lifestyle fellowship, with those who are involved in lifestyles that God has said no to? There's some of you in here, you are. And God has said, come ye out from among them. And too many of you are fraternizing with Christians who are living in opposition to the Word of God. And you better think twice about this, because God says, have no fellowship. You say, well, well, I don't understand what that means. That statement right there just told me you are not spending enough time in prayer. Because if you were spending enough time in prayer, you would know exactly how to relate to other people. God will lead you, guide you, and direct you. Look in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. See, a lack of repentance, a lack of holiness, this exactly, this, this may be more than anything else, will be the roadblock to revival. How can you have genuine revival when there's compromise going on in the lives of the people that God wants to move through to bring about revival? In Colossians chapter 3. Take a look beginning in verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them, but now, all, now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, 
Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Once again, we see warnings. Are you involved in any of these? Is any of this going on in your life? Look over in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. See, we can read these things and quite frankly, it can become too easy to just read it as literature and not as an admonition from Almighty God. And it goes beyond literature. This is God's standard for His children. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Are any of these things going on in your life? And for some of you, yeah. Whether you're sitting in this room or watching this, yeah, there's some stuff that needs to be cleaned up. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a warning that went out. God said, you know, stay away from these particular types of people. You remember Balaam? How that he was, he said, look, if you can get the women of the pagan culture to interact with the men of Israel, you can conquer that nation. And that's what happened. The pagan women became, began to come in, like, like the Canaanite, Moabite women. They began to, to interact with the men of Israel. And here's what you need to understand. This is especially true for you men. When you see pictures of these, these singers and, and uh, uh, athletes, women, I'm talking women singers, women athletes, TV stars, movie stars, and they're dressed in ways with the plunging necklines, the dresses hiked up, split up to their waist, with approximately one-third or more of their bosom being exposed. Do you understand? Those are Moabite women. Do you understand that? And your eyes should not be fixed on that stuff. And some of you men in here are struggling in those areas. And the only reason you're struggling in those areas is because you're choosing to yield to that filth. And you let your mind dance around these things. And God says it can't be this way. When that happened in the Old Testament, there was one situation to where a fellow took the spear and went in and he just drove it, drove it through that woman and that man in that tent while they were engaged in intimacy. God's warning His church now of impending judgment. Look in Revelation chapter 2. You know, a lot of Christians... They have listened to the precepts of man and they've come to believe that once they've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and and even uh, been filled with the Holy Spirit, that everything's going to be okay. That these kind of things aren't as critical. These things that God warns about and says you can't do this because if you begin incorporating these things into your lifestyle, you are headed toward an eternity in the lake of fire. There will be no chance for you to be redeemed. Because once you're there, that's it. There's no way out. And just because you're under the age of 21 doesn't mean you're exempt. 
You under 21s had better listen to me. Some of you have your feet pointed in the wrong direction. And your mommy and your daddy can't save you. I can't save you. Nobody can save you but Jesus Christ. And you better repent. You better get your life right before God. Because under age 21 is not the declaration that you're innocent of judgment. And free from accountability. A lot of people don't want to hear this. But in the Old Testament, the way some of the kids associated with this church have acted, you'd be dead by now. You'd have been dragged out and stoned. Yes, this is serious. Some people think that because we're in the New Testament times, that a lot of that stuff in the Old Testament no longer applies. No, you don't understand. Jesus went to the cross and died under the penalty of those things so we wouldn't have to by accepting Him. But even if you've accepted Him, you can't start living in ways where the end result was in the Old Testament stoning But in the New Testament, it's eternal separation from Almighty God. Because the moment you start living like that after you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the moment you're trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 2, look at this, verse 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place Except thou repent. You don't want your candlestick removed. And God is saying it will happen if you don't repent. There's some people, they don't like me. They don't like the way that I minister. And because of their personal feelings about me, they will reject the truth that I deliver. Well, you know what? That's too bad on you. Because truth is truth and it doesn't matter who's delivering it. And if you don't like me... Alright, fine, you don't like me, but you had better appreciate what God has said in His Word. Look in Revelation chapter 3. Look in verse 3. Jesus says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Remember how you have received and heard. Heard, Received and heard what? The Word of God. The truth. Received and heard. And hold fast. Hold fast to what you've received and heard and repent. Repent. Repent for what? Repent for the way that you have turned from what you've received and heard. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. He's telling you, you better hold on to the word. You better hold on to that standard. You better live according to that truth. Because, look at verse 5, He that overcometh, he that holds on, he that, that, that repents, The same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Do you realize what he's saying? A life of holiness is not, for a child of God, a life of holiness is not an option. We have free will. We can choose to do whatever we want. That's what Adam did. That's what Judas did. That's what David did with Bathsheba. And the list goes on. We have free will. We can do whatever we want. But, if you're going to live as a child of God, then we do not have the option of dismissing the Word and living any other way other than according to God's 
life in us. The holiness and the righteousness. I'm going to read something to you. This was a dream that I had on Wednesday night, April 4th, 2007. 13 years ago. Now listen to this. In this dream, Kathy and I were at what I think was a restaurant. We were sitting at a table with an extremely well-known minister and his associate. I don't know how long we had been there, but I remember feeling as though we had already finished our meals. The well-known minister was speaking, and he said, The charismatic movement that took place back in the 70s was, to me, the most significant movement ever to take place in the body of Christ. What made this statement so intriguing is the fact that, to my knowledge, this minister has never expressed any kind of belief in or taught in favor of the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of tongues or a manifestation of the other gifts of the Spirit. In fact, I do not believe that he has ever professed to having had a charismatic experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. As he was speaking, I nodded my head to express my understanding of what he was saying. Toward the end of his statement, I commented, there is another coming. At which his associate, smiling, looked over at me with an expression of interest as though he were asking me what I meant. The minister said, you mentioned that there is another coming. What do you mean by that? I answered, the charismatic movement was significant and that it wasn't contained to one segment but crossed nearly all denominational barriers and impacted Christians in many different churches. But the mistake the people in that movement made was to focus on the power. The power became the purpose of that movement. The next great movement coming to the body of Christ is holiness. It is going to sweep through the entire church like nothing ever has, and it is going to carry us through to the, to the return of Jesus. In my mind, I knew that this movement of holiness is not to be confused with what many have called a revival of doctrine that is growing. On the inside, I had this understanding that even if some people remain sharply divided on certain doctrinal issues, this movement of holiness will still flow in their churches. That was 13 years ago. What have we been hearing for about the last five, six years? It's a call to holiness, a call to repentance, a call to make it right before God because Jesus is coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or any such thing. And this is a time when we need to reflect and we need to go through that, that self-judgment. If we would judge ourselves, we will not be judged. In other words, God is saying, I'm giving you the opportunity to the church. What he's saying right now is, I'm giving you the opportunity to judge yourselves in this area of holiness, righteousness, and repentance. Because if you don't, you need to understand the judgment is coming. And there are going to be Christians who are going to die. And we're going to mourn over them when in reality... They died because they refused to repent. This, this is the kind of fear that should grip our hearts. Because you see, Ananias and Sapphira, they made a determination, this is what we're going to do. They determined in their heart that they were going to keep back some of the money. 
They had pledged so much, however it went with them, but then they lied. It didn't have to be that way. God wasn't, God would have let them keep whatever, but they lied to the Holy Spirit. Here's what may have happened. Holy Spirit, if you'll help us sell this land for this much money, we will give the full amount to the church. And then instead of it just being that much money, it turned out to be a whole lot more. And they kept back the excess and then said, this is what we're giving. I don't know exactly how all that played out. That's just one possible scenario. But the point I'm making is this. What they did can seem so simple and insignificant to most Christians. And we would look at that and we would think, well, that's not adultery and that's not porn and that's not drugs and that's not... And come up with a whole list of things that we don't think are are anywhere near what they did. And yet apparently to God, it meant something. And God is sending this warning out to the body of Christ now. Repent. Turn to holiness. Live this way. Do not corrupt your life in any way, shape, or form. Live according to the standard that is recorded in my word. And we'll see glory. We'll see power. We'll see revival like never before. And we will not be tainted by the world in the process. We will be that example. Not an example of good conservatives. Not an example of good republicans. Not an example of good supporters of this candidate or that candidate. But we'll be an example of people who are sold out to Jesus Christ and Him alone. That is a part of revival. Now I know that this has been a, a pretty firm message today. From both Pastor Sanford and for me. From me. But guys, this is serious. It's very serious and we can't play games. And once again, those of you here, those of you watching, the under 21s, you're not exempt. You're not exempt. And, you know, if you just want to keep being in rebellion to uh, authority, whatever that authority is, school, parents, whatever, then I would say just get prepared because the path you're on is going to take you straight to a lake of fire for all eternity. And this is the Word of God, not me. So right now, after hearing all of this, is there anything in your life, any of you here, any of you, you're watching, is there anything going on you need to repent of? Because you see, the power of God's life in us is more powerful than any form of sin or rebellion to God. We can say no out of that life and never again do the things that would take us away from God. So right now, just you can where you're sitting, you just bow your heads and just ask the Lord. Those of you watching, those of you listening, same thing. Just bow your heads and ask the Lord. Show me what you see in my life. Help me understand where I am in my walk with you. And it may be there's nothing in your life 
the kind of sin that, that we've documented here, that we've seen in the Word of God. But are there other things that you need to repent of? Are there other things that need to be changed? And if so, know this. A prayer line won't fix it. But time on your knees before God will. Nobody can lay hands on you and fix your life. But your intimacy with Jesus Christ can. And when you make a decision to repent, just ask Him. Remind me of this every day of my life. Remind me of this. Because the heart, listen, the heart of every single believer, I'm talking your born again heart, it has a burning desire to live in holiness before God. So Father, right now, I present myself to You. And I will stand here as, say, Father, a a voice on behalf of those here in this room and those watching. And to say, if there's anything in our lives, Father, that You need to reveal to us things that we need to repent of and stop doing, whatever it is, Father, reveal it to us. And I'm talking those of all ages, Father, because conviction can be strong at any age. And Father, I pray that we will respond to this and that we will repent in whatever areas we need to repent and that, Father, we will walk in the power of our new nature and live according to what You've established in Your Word as righteousness and true holiness. We can do it because, Father, if we couldn't do it, You wouldn't have said to do it in Your Word. Father, we want to be a part of Your remnant revival church that You use to bring about revival not just in this community, but throughout the world. And Father, I thank You for this. I thank You for it. And may whatever conviction is necessary in our lives and in the lives of our family members who have maybe strayed from You, Father, may that conviction be as strong as it needs to be that we will respond and call upon the name of the Lord with repentance and make it right before You. I thank You for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.